the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Joining me today is Dr. Deepak Chopra, a pioneer of integrative medicine. Dr. Chopra is here to teach us how we can make our genes work for us in order to achieve optimal health and well-being. He's the author of more than 80 books, many of which have been New York Times bestsellers. His book, Super Genes, is co-authored with Dr. Rudy Tanzi. Welcome, Dr. Chopra. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, yes. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Chopra, I am so happy to have you on the show. And... Before we begin, I I want to take this opportunity to thank you and to let you know that your work has had a profound impact on my life. Well, thank you. It's always nice to get that feedback, and it encourages me to keep doing what I'm doing. Dr. Chopra, you discuss science that is changing lives. We've all been taught that genes are fixed and unchangeable and that what we're born with we keep for life and, and things are pretty much set for us. But you teach that genes are fluid dynamic and responsive to everything that we do. So what does that mean, that genes are fluid, dynamic, and responsive? Okay, so you know, there are certain genes that are fixed, uh, such as genes for blue eyes, or genes for a particular trait, or some genes that are called fully penetrant mutations, which means that they are fixed. But that's only 5% of the total amount of genes in your body. So 5% of disease-related gene mutations are fixed. That means they are relatively rare. So uh, the gene that Angelina Jolie had, the gene mutation, that is a fully penetrant gene. Uh, The gene for, uh, say, Down syndrome is a fully penetrant penetrant gene. But the remaining gene, uh, gene activities, are influenced by almost every experience, sleep, meditation, stress, or the absence of stress, personal relationships, emotions, so love, compassion, joy, equanimity, have an upregulate your genes, which means stimulate the genes that are useful for healing and self-regulation and down-regulate the bad genes, which cause too much inflammation, heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, and many types of cancer. So that is the big discovery, that your genes are there. Some of them are fixed, but most of them are not in their activity, and they're influenced by how you think, how you feel, even how you speak, how you act, how you behave, your emotions, and what is very important for your people listening to your show, by your attitude. Your, it determines the activity of your genes. Not just the genes, but also what happens epigenetically. So around your genes, there are certain proteins that um, are influenced by environmental factors, including including your internal environment, which is your thoughts and feelings. And this epigenome, as it's beginning to be called, it influences the activity of genes as well. So there's a second component to our genetic activity, which is called epigenetics. And then there's a third component, 
and that's called the microbiome. It's all the bacteria in your body, which outnumber the human cells 10 to 1. But if you can count the genes in these bacteria, then for you have 3.3 million bacterial genes that um, uh, are there for every 23,000 human genes. So there's 150 times more bacterial genes in your body. And they are actually the ecosystem of our planet. And when we destroy the ecosystem of our planet, we're actually hurting our own genes. And if we, can, if we do that through pesticides or uh, insecticides or petroleum products or even genetically modified foods, then we are in a way destroying the ecology of our own body because those bacteria that are part of the planet recycle through us and the overuse of antibiotics has done quite a bit of damage already to the microbiome in our body. In our book, Supergenes, we explain how every experience, thoughts, feelings, emotions, speech, but also, you know, the daily things that we do every day, eating, breathing, digestion, metabolism, elimination, how we experience the world through our five senses, and our inner world of thoughts, feelings, emotions, how all of that influences these three parts of our super genome, as we are calling it, the genetic behavior, the epigenetic behavior, and the microbial behavior. Doctor, listening to you, it's so interesting to think that 5% are fixed and 95% are changeable. I know people that are sick, they suffer with heart disease, depression, high blood pressure, diabetes, things that have been in their family. And their attitude is, there's nothing I can do about it. It's almost like they reconcile themselves to a bad situation and feel powerless. So talk to that person. How do you explain that he or she is not destined to live this life? Yeah, if you have diabetes, if you have high blood pressure, if you have heart disease, if you have inflammation in your body, if you have autoimmune illnesses, um, there are more than 95% chances that you can not only prevent it, but you can reverse some of the, these diseases. The evidence for heart disease is already there. We are building the evidence for other called chronic illnesses. We have a program at our center called Perfect Health where uh, people um, go on a special diet they also change their microbiome through oils and massages and diet. They learn to manage stress um, through meditation. They learn the habits of good sleep and movement and breathing. And we can see a shift in their genome in less than one week. So um, most of chronic illness is not only preventable, but now we are learning um, reversible. So doctor, let's simplify this. If my mother had heart disease, I may tend to believe that I am at a higher risk and, and I will have heart disease. But let's say my mother was obese and she had a very bad outlook on life and, and perhaps was depressed. It's more of the behavior that I would pick up from my mother and bring into my life that would cause my heart disease than the actual genes that I would get from my mother. Right. This is called epigenetic transfer, which can happen in the next generation. It may predispose you to certain risks in terms of chronic illness, but it's not predictive. Your lifestyle still determines whether those genes will be activated or not. Doctor, you write in your book that cells know what to do. They make the right choices. They seize what's good. They avoid what's bad. They stay focused. They adapt. They draw upon nature's intelligence. But we go against everything that we should do or what our cells would do. Why do you think that happens? What is the disconnect between what is good for us and what we do? I think you've, uh, you, know, you summarize it. If only we could live like ourselves. If ourselves live that, that way, why can't we? And the reason is our mind is overwhelmed by information. Our mind is overwhelmed by media, advertising, opinions. Our mind is overwhelmed by the attitudes of society. And this conditioned mind influences 
behavior which is actually um, a, against everything that our cells already know how to do. So first of all, you have to get rid of the conditioning that you have. And for that, you have to actually, you know, you can't get rid of a bad habit by just trying to get rid of it. You have to actually embark on new attitudes, new emotions, new thoughts, new way of speaking, new way of relating to others, new way of uh, interacting in personal and social uh, relationships. And if you do that, you can see within one week the effect on your gene expression. Doctor, what is the radical wellness that you and Dr. Tanzi write about in your book? Radical wellness means not only um, the absence of disease, but a state of perfect balance where you experience a joyful and energetic body, where you experience love and compassion in your heart, where you experience a rested, alert mind, and where you experience a lightness of being or the state of flow. And what are the categories of change that you recommend to achieve this? The categories of change are at every level, spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, and also uh, in our interaction with the environment and with other people. Doctor, for people like Ruth in your book who work very hard at health, they exercise and eat well and manage stress, why do these people still get sick? What's happening when they're supposedly doing everything right? Yeah, they do everything right out of anxiety, out of um, uh, outcome orientation, and in fact, they try too hard instead of allowing things to happen in a natural way. So whenever you become compulsive about anything, you're actually doing more harm to yourself. You should allow nature to unfold itself. Exercise is enjoyable up to a certain level, but if you do it in spite of the fact that you're stressing out about it, you will damage yourself more than benefit. And the stress of changing habits can overwhelm you, even if those habits are good habits. So everything should be done in moderation, in balance, and out of a sense of enjoyment. Doctor, we can see the direct impact on conditions such as high blood pressure, diabetes, or obesity. But what about the healing of cancer? How much power does this information offer us? Well, we do see what are called spontaneous remissions. And these can only happen in those people where there are multiple factors in the environment that have led to the mutation that has ultimately given rise to cancer. You know, again, in breast cancer also, there are 5% of gene mutations that are fully penetrant. The rest should be influenced by lifestyle. Since no one has looked at this in the past, uh, I think it's now time that uh, we start looking at it, knowing uh, what we know about epigenetics and microbiome and gene expressions. The book is Super Genes, Unlock the Astonishing Power of Your DNA for Optimum Health and Well-Being by Dr. Deepak Chopra and Dr. Rudy Tanzi. If you would like to get more information about the book or Dr. Chopra, you can visit his website, DeepakChopra.com. Dr. Chopra, in our final moments, if you could sum this all up, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Take care of yourself. Um, You are a very unique expression of the total universe. Be kind to yourself, love yourself, nourish yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, and then do the same for others. And if you do that, you will enjoy a very healthy, happy, long life. Dr. Chopra, thank you so much for being here with us today and for sharing this life-changing information and for providing this reminder of just how powerful we really are. Thank you so much. It has been an honor to have you here. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. 
Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Welcome back to Conversations with Joan. Joining me is award-winning ABC News anchor Dan Harris, who's here to talk about how he learned to quiet the voice inside his head so he could reduce stress and be happier while succeeding in an extremely competitive profession. He is the author of the book, 10% Happier, How I Tame the Voice in My Head, Reduce Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works. Welcome, Dan. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Dan, every day is a new competition for you to just stay in the game. So it makes sense that you'd be a wound tight, stressed out type A individual whose mind never stops. But you needed to make it stop. You had to make some major changes in your life. Why did you begin this journey? What was your life like and what were you experiencing? Well, what, what kicked it off was uh, having a panic attack on national television. I was on Good Morning America anchoring the news updates uh, and uh, I I had a panic attack. My, I couldn't breathe. Uh, my heart was racing and my palms were sweating. I, I was o- unable to continue speaking. And I had to quit right in the middle of my little newscast. And obviously that was very scary and also very embarrassing. And, and I later found out that the cause of the panic attack was drug uh, abuse. I, was, uh, I had been using cocaine and ecstasy um, recreationally largely uh, to compensate for some depression that I developed after coming home from uh, covering wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and and Israel and and Palestine. And um, so that was obviously a pretty pretty complex stew of events. And when I put it all together and realized what had gone wrong, I, I knew I had to make some changes in my life. Interestingly, though, that was not enough to really set me on the road to getting my act together. It was there was another thing that happened that kind of kicked it off as well, which is that my boss at the time, Peter Jennings, assigned me to cover religion for ABC News. And I am not a religious guy. I was raised in a very secular environment. And I didn't want to do this beat at first. But as it turned out, it was a great thing for me. And, and as, a, as a consequence of uh, covering religion uh, and, and having had this panic attack, I ended up stumbling upon um, meditation which I always thought was uniquely ridiculous, but it turned out to be very valuable for me. Well, you were a skeptic when you began this journey, and, and it's interesting that you said you thought it to be ridiculous because so many type A personalities think it is, you know, that hoo hoo type of thing for hippie culture. So going in as a skeptic, what did you learn? Well, let me just say, first of all, I think it's completely natural for for people to be skeptical about meditation. It suffers from a huge PR problem, and the way it's talked about in our culture is really annoying. Um, and so most of us assume that, that the only people who do meditation are hippies and weirdos and freaks and people who live in a yurt and are really into Cat Stevens and aromatherapy and ultimate frisbee. And, uh, and and I understand why people feel that way, because I certainly felt that way. Um, and I, what's missing is people who are out there talking about meditation without any of the unfortunate cultural baggage. So what I'm trying to do is to strip away the cultural baggage and talk about it simply for what it is. And what it is is simple brain exercise. And uh, and when I say simple, I mean, it's really simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple, uncomplicated, secular exercise for your brain. And there's an enormous amount of science that suggests that it can do extraordinary things for you from lowering your blood pressure to boosting your immune system to literally rewiring key parts of your brain for happiness and compassion 
uh, and calm and well-being. And uh, so when I learned all of that, uh, that I didn't have to join a group or believe in anything or wear special outfits or sit in a funny position or anything like that, and that there was all of this science, that's what allowed me to jump in and give it a shot. Were you able to make it work in the beginning? I know you started with five excruciating minutes as you describe it. So when someone wants to try this and the mind wanders all over the place, a lot of times people give up. So what do you recommend to stay on the path? I would say the mind wandering all over the place is meditation. That is, that it's like when somebody comes up, imagine if somebody came up to you at the gym and said, I'm sweating and panting. I don't know if I'm, if I can exercise. That is exercise, (laughs) right? When you sit down and try to meditate, your mind is going to go berserk, but Mm -hmm. that's the nature of the mind. Uh, If it was easy, you wouldn't have to meditate. If you were in naturally great shape all the time, you wouldn't have to work out. So uh, the point isn't to somehow stop thinking, which is impossible if, unless you're dead or enlightened. The point is to learn how to have the grit to get lost and start again and get lost and start again and get lost and start again. And that, every time you do that, you're doing a bicep curl for your brain and you are literally changing the, the, the connections in your brain when you try to focus on one thing at a time, usually your breath and find that your mind goes crazy and you're thinking about what am I going to have for lunch? Why did I say that stupid thing to my boss? Um, And then you catch yourself and return your attention to your breath. Doing that over and over again breaks a lifetime of habit of walking around in a fog of projecting into the future or ruminating about the past, and it can change your entire life. Is it easy? Absolutely not. But when you go to the gym, and you should think about this like exercise for your brain, when you go to the gym, if it's easy, you're cheating. Same thing with meditation. So, Dan, once you began meditating, you actually completed a silent retreat. What was that like for someone who talks for a living? And the not talking was not the hard part. <laughs> uh, I, there was nobody there that I really wanted to talk to anyway. And I'm, I'm I don't know, the, the idea of being silent didn't scare me. What, what scared me was meditating all day, every day for 10 days in uh, like alongside like a pack of weirdos. So I, I would very much did not want to do it. Uh, I was talked into it by some uh, meditation friends of mine. And also at that point, I knew I was going to write this book. So it seemed like it uh, might, might be a good thing to do for my research. I, I wanted, I, I'll tell you more about it in just a second, but I want to add one caveat because I don't want your listeners to think that if they start meditating, the only way to do it right is to go off on a 10-day silent meditation retreat. That, that is not – I did this because I was at that point getting very, very interested in meditation and wanted to write a book. But I think doing five minutes a day is enough, and uh, my whole game – is to, is to take away all of your excuses. And so I'm always on the lookout for any excuse that, because your, your mind, the way the mind of your skeptical listener is going to work is they're just going to be constantly looking for ways to get out of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm, 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 throughout the course of this interview, going to try to remove any excuses you might have. So having said all of that, the, the 10 days was miserable until it became unbelievable. And there's something about the nature of the mind where you, if you sit and try to focus on one thing all day long, you will eventually get dragged kicking and screaming into the present moment in a really big way where the mind slows down enough, the thinking slows down enough that you're really tasting your food and smelling the air and feeling the breeze and hearing the birds in the trees. And that is accompanied by a big blast of serotonin often. And so I had a period of time in the middle of that retreat that was probably the happiest moment of my life. Um, And then it went back to being hard again. So, Dan, why did you title your book 10% Happier? Is that a reasonable expectation? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, largely it's a joke Mm -hmm. uh, because you can't quantify happiness. Um, But I I did it for two reasons. One, um, I'm trying to counter-program against the unrealistic uh, baloney, really, Mm -hmm. that you hear in the self-help world where people tell you you can solve all of your problems through the power of positive thinking or whatever. So 10% happier, it's a joke, but it's kind of like a reasonable return on investment. And And my point is not that... You know, I started meditating and all of a sudden my life is a nonstop parade of unicorns and rainbows. That's not the truth. However, I am happier, calmer, and nicer, and there's no, there's no question about it. And my level of happiness increases all the time. It's like the 10% kind of compounds annually. Um, the other reason why I did it is because of this, the PR problem that meditation has. And 
when I first started meditating, a lot of my very skeptical colleagues would say, why are you doing that? You know, like, what's the matter with you? It was almost like parenthetically they were asking, uh, have you joined a cult? And so I, I didn't know how to handle that question because it's hard to defend meditation because it is, you know, so seemingly weird. Um, so I started saying, oh, you know, it makes me about 10% happier. And I noticed when I said that, the look of scorn on people's face transformed um, to something approaching interest. Because I saw people saying, oh, you know, I, I, I'd like that. And that sounds doable. And so I really stuck with it. Who are the people that are meditating now? We're on the cusp of a big public health revolution. In, in the 1940s, if you went, if you told somebody, you know, I'm going running, they would say, they would have said to you, uh, who's chasing you? You know, nobody went running. But then the science showed that um, exercise was really good for you. And so now we have health clubs on every corner. The same thing is starting to happen with meditation. And I predict that within 10, 15, 20 years, it's going to be just as socially acceptable and maybe just as common as physical exercise. And, and uh, so now we're seeing it being done in a big way in the corporate world. Uh, CEOs and executives are doing it, including at places like Procter & Gamble, Aetna, Twitter, uh, General Mills, Google. Um, we're also seeing elite athletes do it. Um, we're also seeing pop stars doing it from Katy Perry to 50 Cent. Uh, and most interestingly, members of the military, both the U.S. Marines and the U.S. Army, spending millions of dollars to study whether meditation can help with the epidemic of PTSD and also to make, make smarter, more effective, um, more thoughtful, um, less reactive warriors in the field. So this is coming down the pike. Uh, and my fondest hope is that I can somehow play a small role of catalyzing this, this public health revolution, which I think could really help a lot of people. Dan, before we run out of time, what is your advice to anyone that is wound tight, stressed out, depressed, and living with those constant voices? Well, let me address stress. Uh, well, first of all, it, let me, before I address stress, let me address uh, depression and anxiety, because those are extremely common diagnoses in this country right now. Um, first of all, let me say you're not alone. I have suffered from depression and anxiety, and um, um, millions of others do, and I don't think you should feel isolated. Um, and uh, I, I don't think meditation is a miracle cure, but it has been shown in scientific studies, and this is the area where the studies are the strongest. It has been shown to really help. So consult your doctor. Take your meds if they're prescribed. Uh, do, the, do physical exercise, which is often really good for depression. Um, but consider meditation and talk to your doctor about it because the science is, you know, quite compelling that it can have a really salutary effect on anxiety and depression. So let me say this about stress. Uh, I think stress is actually a good thing to a certain extent. Now, I think anybody who's striving for excellence in any arena, be it your profession, uh, parenting, volunteer work, uh, art, a certain amount of plotting and planning and striving is inherent in the enterprise. You just you need to worry a little bit if you're going to try to do something great or build something great. The problem is we often cross the line between what I call constructive anguish and useless rumination. And meditation for me has helped me get a, get a lot better at doing at not crossing that line. So I'm not making the suffering that is naturally part of life worse than it needs to be. And uh, and I'm just doing the constructive worrying that ha helps me achieve my goal. The book is 10% Happier, How I Tame the Voice in My Head, Reduce Stress Without Losing My Edge, and Found Self-Help That Actually Works by Dan Harris. Dan, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing this important information. As I said, there are many type A people out there who are skeptics and don't believe that meditation can be for them. And I think it's great that you being recognized as quote unquote one of them can be an example of how it is possible to calm the mind and still be a player to achieve professional success. So thank you so much for being here. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for all of your kind words and thanks for having me on. We'll be right back. Do you get stressed out at people shouting on social media, people taking sides of issues and just yelling to be heard? This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures with a social media simplified tip. Be kind. Kind is the new cool. Think about who you're following and why you follow them on social media. Maybe you follow people for business. Maybe you follow them because they make you laugh. Maybe you follow them because you want to learn something. Now apply that to your own social media posting. Are you the kind of person you would want to follow? Then take a look at your followers. Who 
exactly is following you? Try to find a way to help people understand your position without losing sight of what it means to be a kind person. This doesn't mean you're someone's doormat or that you have to agree with everyone. That would make us a very dull society. But there are ways to make yourself understood without negative language and without shouting. There are a lot of kind, smart, lovely people on social media that you can learn from. Find them. Follow them. Be kind. If you need help with your social media for business, give us a call. Visit our website at smcventures.biz or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. This is Susan McLaughlin from SMC Ventures, social media simplified by Sue. This is WNYF, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. back to Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. Joining us today is Dr. Jeffrey Weber, who's with the Laura and Isaac Perlmutter Cancer Center. Dr. Weber is here today to discuss melanoma. Dr. Weber, according to the American Cancer Society, an estimated 87,000 new cases of melanoma were diagnosed in the United States last year, and approximately 9,700 people died from the disease. What is melanoma, and whom does it affect? Melanoma is a cancer of the pigment cells or melanocytes that live in our skin. They tend to cluster at the junction between the inner inner and the outer skin, which is the dermis and the epidermis. And if they become transformed or abnormal and grow out of control, they can then invade. And if you get to them early and remove them when they're in the skin only, you can cure the patient. But if it spreads within the skin, deeply into the skin, or to distant organs, those patients may die of metastatic melanoma. And the patients most at risk are those who have pale complexions, a lot of freckles, especially those with a lot of abnormal freckles, and those with blonde hair, red hair, blue eyes, green eyes, who have been exposed to the sun or tanning salons. So most melanomas are probably due to UV exposure, that is the sun and the tanning salons. Some of them are genetically predisposed whether you're in the sun or not, but most of them are related to UV light. Is melanoma more dangerous than other skin cancers? That is correct. Most cancers of the skin in the United States and around the world are so-called basal and squamous cancers. You find them, you remove them, they're usually cured. The likelihood that they would spread percentage-wise would be very low, although that happens. It just doesn't happen often with melanoma. As you may have seen, uh, 90,000 this year, the incidence, there's going to be about 10,000 deaths. So you have about uh, more than a 10%. It's an 11% chance of dying of the disease, whereas with other cancers, it's very low. It's 1% or less. Doctor, what are symptoms of melanoma? People should look in the skin at their moles, and if they change and grow in size, become differentiated in color, if they become shaggy in their borders, if they're asymmetric, if they get raised or bleed, that's when you get worried and you have to go to the dermatologist for a biopsy. No question. What is immuno-oncology, and how does this treatment help patients with melanoma? Immuno-oncology is the field of study and treatment using drugs that impact on the immune system to indirectly treat cancer. So what you do is you use a drug, and these drugs have really only been developed since 2001 or 2002, so it's about 16 or 17 years ago. And these drugs stimulate the immune system to get rid of the cancer or prevent it from returning. So they don't directly kill the tumor, they convince, so to speak, the immune system to do the work and get rid of the tumor and destroy it. And the first drug was approved in 2011. The first patient was treated in 2010, so that was a 10-year journey, as they call it. Doctor, thank you so much for being here. If you'd like to get more information, you can visit curemelanoma.org. We'll be right back. Do you take care of children, aging parents, or an ill loved one? Is your job in a helping profession? If so, I hope you have the tools to care for yourself. If not, keep listening. Hi, I'm Lori Gardner, registered nurse, patient advocate, and board-certified health and wellness coach. I am the CEO and founder of Health Link Advocates, a firm dedicated to assisting people navigate our very complex healthcare system. We also provide coaching to individuals and groups that want to improve their health and well-being. There can be great joy in being a caregiver, but there can be extreme emotions involved that can cause significant stress in all aspects of your life. Signs of caregiver stress include physical and emotional exhaustion, irritability or anger, trouble sleeping, relationship problems, overeating, increased alcohol use, and more. 
It is important to develop strategies to manage this stress. Even the most resourceful, resilient, and strong person can experience this caregiver stress. Tips to handle this stress include being able to ask for help and create a network of family, friends, and paid professionals. Pay close attention to your physical and emotional well-being. Eat right and try to avoid too much sugar and caffeine. Exercise when you can and do deep breathing regularly. Seek simple, small things for which you can be grateful and practice mindfulness and prayer meditation. Don't forget to put your oxygen mask on first. If you need a health and wellness coach to partner with, please contact us at healthlinkadvocates.com. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a transformational life coach and reinvention expert who helps her clients move through life challenges and transitions with purpose, passion, and clarity to emerge more powerful, fulfilled, and purposeful. Linda is here today to discuss small steps to big change. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. So, Linda, when people decide that they're ready to let go of resistance and make some big changes in their lives, often the process can be overwhelming and anxiety-provoking. Can you give us some strategies on how to get unstuck so we can make permanent changes in our lives? Well, when we decide it's time for a big change, often anxiety and overwhelm can step in and sabotage even our best efforts. I believe it's wise to ease into big changes by taking a series of small, deliberate steps. There's wisdom and beauty in taking small steps to big change. This allows us to transition through change or grow into a new habit with more comfort and less anxiety. And that's far more likely to result in the permanent changes we're desiring. It's wise to move methodically and intentionally toward any goal by breaking it down into small, manageable pieces. Because it's difficult to maintain the momentum and demands of implementing big changes or of trying to make too many changes at once, even if they're all leading to one goal. When we feel like everything we're trying to do is a struggle, or we feel like we've had more failures than successes in moving toward a big goal, that's when we feel depressed, we revert to our old ways, or just give up. Instead, I invite people to break their ambitious changes into small steps. It's more realistic, it feels better, and it creates an ongoing sense of success. Even if at first it seems like it will take you longer to reach your goal by chunking it down into small pieces, The good news is that having many small successes along the way will encourage you to keep moving forward toward the larger goal. The Japanese actually have a term for this. It's called Kaizen. Many corporations, both domestically and abroad, have adopted this philosophy because of its success rate. Here's a simple example. If your goal is to get fit and lose weight, you don't want to eliminate all sugar, carbs, and dairy all at once and decide to get to the gym six days a week instead of one. It's way too much. You're setting yourself up for failure. It's better to take small steps to big change. So Linda, not everything that happens to us in life is our choice. What about when something that we're not expecting occurs? What should we do then to make it less difficult and less stressful? Well, you're right. Life doesn't always give us a heads up before a major change. We can't always anticipate or prepare. So when this happens, I truly believe it's important to give yourself the time and the grace to process any emotions. You may be feeling sadness, anger, grief, or fear, for example. I always say what we resist persists. So allow yourself the space to process your emotions so you can begin to heal and then move forward. In this scenario, it's wise to choose to get comfortable with one area at a time in your new reality. Taking consistent small steps 
will allow you to build the confidence in yourself that's needed to forge forward and successfully transition through a big change. Using this strategy, you'll find strength you didn't even know you had. And hopefully, you'll even see there's little successes along the way to acknowledge and celebrate. So you just mentioned celebrating small successes along the way. But when we're trudging through something challenging, we don't usually think about celebrating. So can you tell us more about this concept and why you think it's so important? Yeah, Joan, I think it's so important to pause, notice and celebrate the big and the little successes along the way. Here's why I think it's so important. If we never stop to acknowledge ourselves and instead we simply tell ourselves, you know, things like, oh, that's just stuff I have to get through, then we miss the opportunity to lift ourselves up, give ourselves credit for the hard work we're doing. And that's a shame because not doing so leads to feeling exhausted and depleted. But by celebrating even the small successes along the way, we feel better about ourselves and the situation we're in. We boost our confidence and feel better prepared for the next important step. Now, I'm not talking about throwing a party for each small step of success. I'm simply talking about acknowledging yourself, getting out of your head for a moment and consciously being in your body to momentarily marinate in that good feeling. You know, tune into your body while thinking about a small step of success. Where do you feel that joy? Is it in your gut? Is it in your heart? Really connect with that feeling and consciously saturate the rest of your body with that good feeling. That's an important kind of celebration that science shows actually expands your good energy and makes space for even more successes to enter your life. Eventually, you'll be able to look back and see that you've accomplished quite a bit by taking small steps to big change. Linda, thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Linda and her work, you can visit livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. We'll be right back. Did you know that when we as women think about caring for ourselves through pregnancy, labor, and the postpartum period, that we often overlook the vital role of a birth and postpartum doula? Hi, my name is Rachel, owner and primary doula at The Village Doula, and I'm here to tell you that a doula isn't just some new age accessory for the super wealthy. Instead, she is a vital educator, guide, support, and coach through one of the most critically transformational times of your life, the time where you will make the transition into motherhood. During my years as a registered nurse, I began to see a gap in care that many mothers were facing. Here are a few reasons why a doula is a vital part of your birthing team. Women who chose to include a doula in their care were 40% less likely to experience cesarean section. Their labors were almost 40 minutes shorter on average, and they experienced a 25% reduction in force and vacuum-assisted births. Women who used a doula in their care also reported feeling overall supported, well, happy, and adjusted in their postpartum period. They also experienced lower rates of postpartum depression and anxiety by almost 35%. This is huge and such an honor to be a part of this process for new families. For more information on closing the gap in care, please visit my webpage at thevillagedoula.life. When you're having a conversation in relationship and it's somewhat controversial, you probably want to be heard and be right. Quite often that's what we want. And so we're maybe a little defensive, but is that right? Or do we want a result? The result being we'd like to get along. Hi, I'm Lindsay Levinson, Quality for Life Coaching. And they are two different things, getting along versus being heard and being right. See, because being heard and right is our defense, then that connects to our ego. But ego's not really going to get you that far. If you want a result, then you're going to want to work with humility and truth. So if you've got a difference of opinion, I mean, for me, I'll quickly look for a reason to say I'm sorry. And it has to be true. If I don't know what I've done yet, then I will say, I'm sorry you're hurting. I've done something wrong here because you're hurting. But let's talk further so we can figure this out. And you don't want to talk at someone by saying, 
saying you this and you that because people just shut their ears. You want to use words like we and use words like experience. I'm having this experience. I know your experience is different. There isn't a right or wrong. There's just different experiences going on here. So we just need to talk it through and land somewhere that feels really good for both of us. So you want to do a lot of that non-heated conversation so that you can both feel good, but nobody is charging at another person. It's not being heard and right. It's just working toward the positive result. Lindsay Levinson, qualityforlifecoaching.com. Look me up. I'd love to talk to you, help you in any way I might be able to. today is Alexis Brink, president of the Jinshin Institute located in New York City. Alexis has been a practitioner of the art of Jinshin since 1991. Alexis has taught self-help classes and workshops in New York City as well as different countries for many years. She has taught Jinshin in hospitals to nurses and to teachers and their students in the public school system. Today, the Jinshin Institute, under Alexis's guidance, offers a comprehensive curriculum to a new generation of practitioners and teachers. Alexis is the author of The Art of Jinshin. She's here today to discuss Jinshin for Increased Energy and Vitality. Welcome, Alexis. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Joan. I'm glad to be here today. So, Alexis, you've taught us in the past that it's important for us to keep our body in balance. Can Jinshin help us revitalize our body? Yes, completely. And that's what it does. When the body is revitalized and the energies are moving, then the body can function optimally. And today I would like to share with you the main center source, which is really for daily maintenance. And it's uh, the most important flow, I think. So this will revitalize everything. It helps the entire endocrine system. And so I'll move you through it, and we'll just all do this together then. You place your right hand on top of the head, your right fingertips, and you place your left hand between the eyebrows. And you just hold this for a few breaths. So this first step helps mental clarity. It helps the pineal and pituitary gland. And the pineal and pituitary glands are very difficult to reach, but because you're holding this and the energy spirals all the way to core, you access these glands. This first step is also a natural diuretic. And also for today's Alzheimer's and all of that is very, very helpful. Then the left hand moves down to the V of the neck. And this helps the voice and communication. It helps the thyroid gland and the parathyroid. Just hold it in there and see if you feel any tightness a little bit on the left or the right. It also helps with calcium absorption. And so for people with osteoporosis, this is very, very helpful. And then the left hand moves down to the middle of the chest and that helps our emotional center. It helps the lungs and the heart. And this also helps anxiety. It also helps the reproductive system. And while your hand is still on top of the head, your left hand moves to the base of the sternum. And that helps everything on the waistline. It helps the adrenals, the stomach, the spleen, the liver, and the gallbladder. It helps digestion. Again, it's a very good place to hold for anxiety as well. And then the left hand moves to the pubic bone. And that helps all the energy to move down all the way to the feet. It also helps the reproductive system. And it actually helps the back. If you have a back project in the sacrum area, then this will help as well. And then the last step, you take your right hand off the top of the head and place it on the tailbone. And this helps total body circulation which is very important. It allows the energy to flow down all the way to the toes, down the front, and then it allows for the energy to go up the back and up the spine. So this also helps spinal projects. So one last big breath. And you can take 20 minutes to do this flow, and all of my clients do this flow. This is a part of our daily maintenance program. And for every day, it really helps everything. As my teacher always says, don't leave home without it. 
So this is something then that we should do routinely, not just when we're tired or stressed out. Yeah, it's this this really keeps you healthy and maintains health. And it's, since it helps everything and it covers all of the areas in the body, it is this is the main flow to do every day. I do this one every day. And also what I hear when people sometimes wake up in the middle of the night, it makes them fall back asleep even in the middle of it. And that is just totally fine. Alexis, can you just remind everyone why this is so important, what Jinshin is and why it's important to keep our energy flowing? Yes, Jinshin is a Japanese energy healing modality and it's similar to acupuncture, but instead of needles, we use our hands, which makes it, first of all, very pleasant and also very easy to do on yourself. So the art of Jinshin, it balances body, mind and spirit. So it works on very many different levels and it helps the total being from when you feel just out of sorts and your energy is not flowing correctly to actually symptoms and problems or a dis-ease in the body because when the energy flows correctly, the body can heal itself. And so that is the purpose of Jinshin. Alexis, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about these exercises or Alexis and her work, you can visit jinshininstitute.com and you can learn more also in her new book, The Art of Jinshin. And as always, to hear more from Alexis, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Alexis. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit cyacyl.com, and be sure to tell your friends. Hannah complained of a headache. It was a rhabdomyosarcoma. The tumor was very aggressive. And it very quickly became clear that St. Jude was the ultimate place to be. St. Jude is an asset to the world. I think it's the kind of place that could teach the world a couple of lessons about how to treat people. If those lessons could be learned, this world could be a better place. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.